You're listening to the Goal Line Stand Podcast with Jackson Caudell and Kobe Reed, where we break down all things college football, including breaking news, recruiting, gameplay, and more. Let's get straight to it. Welcome back to another episode of the Go On Stand Podcast. This is Jackson Caldo. That is Kobe Reed coming to you at the end of the week. We wanted to do a little Friday episode. You know, we're normally a midweek podcast, but we're going to try to transform into a weekend podcast for a day. Kobe, how you doing, man? I know they're working you to death, but how you doing? <laughs> doing good, man. You know, work that time of year, but got to find time to get this Goal Line Stand podcast in. That's one of the number one priorities in life. So if you're not checking it out, if you're not listening to it on the way to work, listening to it at the gym, or just listening to it because you got nothing better to do, you are missing out. But today we're going to hit some we're going to cover a little bit of recruiting stuff. We're going to cover some coaching hires, coaching fires. There's been some notable names that are now looking for a new home. Um, choose a couple of our favorite guys coming out of the 2023 class. And we will dig in a little bit into the discussion of Alabama versus Georgia, Kirby versus Saban. Is what Georgia's doing right now a dynasty, or do they still got a little bit of ways to go? So, Jackson, go ahead and kick us off. As always, start off with a little Georgia Tech stuff. I, like, obviously, the news is a little bit slower, and because we're a college football-centric podcast, you know, the, the news is, is definitely a little slighter. But Austin Dean, Rutgers transfer linebacker, is coming in. He hasn't – stats-wise, you know, you go, you can go look him up anywhere, and it's not going to pop off. But this is like – this is the third transfer linebacker that the Yellow Jackets have taken. It was a position of need because Charlie Thomas, 100-plus tackles last year, gone. Ace Ely, 100-plus tackles last year, gone. When you're talking about one of the best linebacker duos in the ACC, you know, not a lot – some things didn't go right for, for Tech last year in football, but those two were, were really good. And I expect to hear their name called at some point um, in April. So um, him coming in along with Braylon Oliver from uh, Minnesota, Andre White Jr. from Texas A&M, all three of those guys along with the guys that are currently on the roster are going to play. And it's another big visit weekend. You know, the contact period's about over heading into February. This is kind of maybe the last big weekend of visits. Um, you can go check out com. I've written about some of the confirmed visitors there, and you can be sure that there will be interviews after this weekend when I talk to some of these guys. So definitely go check out all that. We've been talking about something for, what, a couple months now. Mm-hmm. It finally happened. Bill O'Brien is is we, I, the worst-kept secret in football it, it just feels like this whole year, because I thought it was going to happen last offseason because I was like, there's no way – that a defensive coach is going to call offensive plays. Yep. But when you're the greatest football coach of all time, you get to do, or at least NFL coach of all time, you get to make choices like that and hire Matt Patricia. Bill O'Brien is back with the New England Patriots. Alabama, we talked about their defensive coordinator job the last time we were here. Now need a new coordinator, and I'll get a couple things in because this is obviously your lane, so I want to let you have it. But this just feels like two like massive hires because Alabama is always going to be competitive. But you know, when talking to you for these last couple of years, it felt like the coordinators were holding you back a little bit. You know, you, from Bama being Alabama instead of just being a very elite team. You know, being at the top of the pile like we've seen Georgia being the past couple of years. So I, these are two massive hires. Um, I'll, I'll kind of let you take it from there and we can talk about candidates and such and just kind of your overall thoughts on it. But, you know, I, I know you were excited as could be. Oh, dude, that was the best news I possibly could have heard. I woke up, got off of work, you know, 
check Twitter. Bill O'Brien's going to the Patriots. Great news. But, yeah, man, and a lot of what we've talked about, me and Jackson discussed this all the time. Bama hasn't been Bama the last couple of years, but have you noticed a trend here? Probably since 2017, it's been the most coaching turnover we've seen at Bama in a very long time. Kirby left in 2015. We still had some really good defenses without him. Jeremy Pruitt was still there. Um, hopefully we can bring him back as a defensive role some way, somehow. NCAA, let's make it happen. Um, but, yeah, if you go back and look at our offensive coordinators, we've gone from Mike Loxley, Brian Dable, uh, Kiffin, Sarkeesian, um, Bill O'Brien, of course. We've just had a lot of turnover at the offensive coordinator spot. But we've had a lot of great skill guys that we could kind of overcome that a little bit. We've had great guys in the wide receiver room, great talents at running back, and obviously we've had some serious talent at quarterback these last couple of years. But now these last two years, everybody else is starting to catch up. They're starting to really get their roots into their programs. you got teams like Georgia. you got teams like LSU and Florida going out and finding their new roots, trying to start from the ground up a little bit. got teams like Miami. got teams Texas, Oklahoma even USC, everybody's trying to catch up and everybody's trying to get their foundation in their program. Meanwhile, Bama, we're still recruiting at the highest level. I mean, what, I think we just finished with nine five stars or something like that, according yeah, to four seven. Yeah. Crazy recruiting classes, still recruiting at a high level. We're getting the guys on campus. Now we got to get the coaches in there. They're going to be in there a little bit longer than one to two years, build relationships, develop, and put out a product on the field. Um, as far as offensive coordinators go, I've heard Jeff Levy's name be thrown around. Uh, I've heard Dan Mullen. I think that's a little bit of smoke there. Cliff Kingsbury, he's off in the middle of nowhere doing God knows what. We can't get a hold of him. But it'll, it'll be this this spring, it'll be a very, very interesting coaching search. Um, I'm pretty sure Saban already has his guy in mind. It's just a matter if we can get him on campus. Yeah, I mean, that's – and I guess let's just open – open the floor for, for Ken discussion. Like I know I've, and I think you have to mention Kingsbury, but I just don't think that's going to happen. One, when he signed that new deal with the Cardinals last year, that man just got paid $28 million to not coach football. So if he doesn't want to coach, he doesn't have to coach. And there's been a lot, like I've been reading a lot of NFL uh, insider stuff that a lot of NFL teams still want him as a coordinator and he may want to come back to college. And if that's the case, you know, NFL salaries are, are getting bigger by the day too. So I I just have a hard time seeing him saying, I want to come back to Alabama. If he still has NFL opportunities, if he was a guy that, you know, Bill O'Brien didn't have any NFL opportunities on the table when he came to Bama. So oh, it was when you trade DeAndre Hopkins for two nickels and a dime, I mean, I wouldn't want that. Oh, and any Patriots fan, you know, that for the past couple of weeks or since their season ended, you know, they've been talking about wanting receiver help and, you're not trading for DeAndre Hopkins now. Just go yeah. ahead and <laughs> X that out. But That's not back, to, back to college. Um, yeah, the the Jeff Levy one I, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, he was at Ole Miss, you know, when um, they they were coaching against each other. And hey, I don't know. Do you think some of the shines went off of him after this past year? Because I, I don't know, but I think if if he has the opportunity to go to Bama, I think he definitely needs to take it because if yeah. you had another, they, they were their offense wasn't terrible, but it definitely wasn't what most people thought. If you had another just mediocre year, you're kind of old news at that point until you can can get back going. Well, we just know how the coaching thing works. I mean, I yeah. I feel like it would be a good move, but um, it just feels like these past couple of years, you know, 
let's not let's I will say let's not act like Bama's offense was Iowa. Like let, let's not act like they were just dirt terrible. It just felt like But also they, this is it, the same Bama team that could only score what? 17, 18 points against Texas. You know what I'm that's saying? That's the thing is it's just yeah. like whenever they met and, you know, we we joke about Texas and stuff, but they have NFL talent. They got four yeah. or five-star athletes. Whenever Bama didn't have an overwhelming athletic or just, just physical advantage, you know? they struggled. You know, when they played Arkansas, for instance, this year, they just run them over because Arkansas just doesn't have those type of dudes on defense. Yeah. But when they played LSU, and LSU's a, not a bad team, but like – Let's not act like LSU was great either, but no, but they got some dudes yeah, that could be first, second, yeah, third round. Like they, their defensive team. line, we talked about in the preseason how good their defensive line was, and their uh, Harold Perkins is a top five pick in I don't know what year he's coming up. Yeah, they struggled. So when they just didn't have an overwhelming advantage, whether it was talent or athleticism, they struggled. And like that's a coaching problem. That that that's just purely a coaching problem. And it just you know whenever I watched them have Sarkeesian, it wasn't just the talent, but like Sark knew what to do with everybody. He knew how to out scheme everybody. Knew how to move them around. I want. I would like to see them get back to that. You know. Yeah, and I think whoever takes this offensive coordinator job, I think is going to be a lot easier than you think it would be. Because think about it, every guy that's come in, you know that you were going to have Tua, then you know you're going to have Mac Jones after him, then you know you're going to have Mac Jones after him or uh, Bryce Young after him. We're going to have a pretty serious quarterback competition from what I'm hearing this spring between Milrow and Ty Simpson. And then you're also going to have guys like Eli Holstein probably in the mix. You're going to have some guys that are going to be competing for that quarterback spot. You can come in with a fresh start, pick your guy, and mold an offense out of him. And it's going to, you're going to have all the talent in the world around you. You're going to have Jermaine Burton back, Isaiah Bond, Kobe Prince is going to have some freshmen and um, Juco guys coming in. You got a stable of running backs. Mm-hmm. Whoever takes this offense coordinator spot is probably going to be one of the better spots in the country. So hopefully we can get somebody good out of it. We'll save the discussion for later, but I think you're going to have a quarterback competition between Ty Simpson and Eli Holstein. I think that's where it's going to be, in all honesty. But that's going to be a very deep conversation for another day. That that's that that's the episode unto itself. But um, you know, I was just trying to think of, because honestly, when this we talked about it. When Garrett Riley was still available, like, okay, if, if Bama's, when Bama's OC job comes open, it's like, for your first called Garrett Riley and like Garrett Riley's coming, right? Yeah. That didn't happen. And then we were both saying like, this is going to be kind of interesting because we, we kind of struggled to name some candidates because it, it, one just doesn't pop off. Yeah. Um, I've seen Greg Roman's name be thrown around. I just don't know about that. I, th- he has been good in the NFL, and he, uh, you know, when he was at Stanford with Jim Harbaugh, he was a pretty good offensive coordinator. But that that was a long time ago, and I, I just don't, you know, when I I know you were trying to tailor the offense around Lamar Jackson and what he does best. These past couple of years, or their offense just lacks. Like it, they just happy. didn't have the personnel, man. Like yeah, and I, that that's true, and maybe it's better. I think, but you don't know how he's gonna because. There are some guys that aren't good recruiters but can do it. Like, I think Dan Mullen doesn't like to recruit, but, you know, if you told him, like, like find me some quarterbacks. And, obviously, recruitment in Alabama is not hard. Like, yeah. when you get there, like, it's not hard. We're, to- seeing, we're seeing that exact thing right now at Georgia with Todd Munkin. From everything I've heard, he doesn't like the recruiting aspect of it, but what you put on the field with, he can turn it into something, you know. Well, I saw he was out at a high school and that, you know, whenever, you know, coaches go visit high schools, yeah. you know, coaches want to broadcast it. Or not the high school coaches want to broadcast it. I swear that's the first time I think I've seen Munkin, and and it could just I've be never seen him not on paying a attention. Yeah. That's the only time I've seen him out there, and I think it's just it's just a grind, and I think that's why you see a lot of coaches 
prefer the NFL. Um, and I know his name's been thrown out for NFL jobs yep. too. But that's also another discussion. But yeah, I I know Le- like Lebby, I'm a big Dan Mullen fan. I could see, I know he likes TV, um, but as a play caller and a quarterback's coach, I I, I think pretty highly of him, but I, I understand why some people may not uh, go there. Not not huge on Greg Roman. Yeah. Um, I guess we can use this to transition a little bit. One former Bama coach is now on the market. You don't have any interest in a guy that averaged 17 points a game, do you? You don't have any interest in that, do you? Not a chance. But also, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Miami as a whole just wasn't it. Yeah, I will say, you know, when I watched some some Miami games last year, obviously, you know, when they came to Georgia Tech, mm-hmm. I know Miami is not overwhelmed with talent. I know they, they're still working on that. Man, some of the play calling and designs were kind of whack, and it just makes me wonder if Jim Harbaugh maybe had more hands on that offense than because it just wasn't the same. Like, yeah, playing you know Miami had some injuries and stuff. They had to they were down to I think their third string quarterback at some point. Yeah, with today's going back to that Texas A and M Miami game, there was just so like a bum Texas A and M team. You know, like they had guys, of course they had guys, but just watching that game, it was like watching paint dry. Yeah, and, and, you know, when they played Clemson, Clemson's obviously very good on defense. They didn't get 100 yards. Do you know how hard that is to do in college football now? Like, you didn't accidentally break a big play or something like that was just – it was not good. Um, we just want to – you know, it's an ACC thing. Obviously, it does affect Georgia Tech in some way. So, yeah. Miami's going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator. I, I don't have a clue uh, who they go after. I mean, they, they Miami has money, obviously, so that there could be um, – some they could get a name out there. I want I want to get your reaction on this because I did have a coordinator candidate I'm fond of. I don't think it would fire you up necessarily or the Alabama fan base, but Utah offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig's interviewed for several mm-hmm. offensive coordinator jobs. He he's very good. I know he's it, it's not a super. It's not like Iowa style football. Like it's, they don't line up with fullbacks and two tight ends. They do mix it up a lot. They've ranked in the top 20 in offense back-to-back years. I know Miami interviewed him last year before they hired Gaddis. I just get your take on that. You know, would that be – as a Bama fan, do you expect more than that? Or is that something you could say, okay, we'll roll with it, you know? I See, I don't know. I feel like he's one of those guys – I feel like he's more fit for West Coast offenses. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like, I feel – so, like, here's the thing. I, here's the analogy I'll use. I think Brian Harson is a phenomenal coach. I think he is a good football coach. Auburn was a bad situation all the way around. But if you look at the success he had at Boise State, I mean, there was no reason not to think he would have a chance at being something, you know. But that's the thing. When you bring coaches like that out into the SEC, it is an entirely different ballpark. Now, he would be hired as a coordinator. I don't think he'd be hired as a head coach anywhere in the SEC. But I think it's just an entirely different style and more physical, more physical style of play, and a lot of coaches aren't ready for that, especially coordinators. Yeah. All right, so I'm gonna put you on the spot. Realistically, if you could pick anybody out of y'all's realistic pool of candidates, who are you picking? I don't even know if he's in our pool of candidates. Somebody find Joe Brady. I don't. Okay. I don't, you didn't discuss that because his name has been thrown around. Well, see, I don't. Everything I've heard, he doesn't want to come back to college. He doesn't well, want to do the recruiting. But also, where else, where else can he go now? You know. Yeah, and that—that's you know, we keep going back and forth between Miami, Alabama. 
I I read several insider reports that Cristobal tried to get him to yeah. to get to Miami, and that was before he took an NFL because he had just gotten fired as the Panthers' offensive coordinator. Yep, he just doesn't like recruiting, and like that's a problem, you know, when you're trying to hire a coach. He's a good coach. I also think there is some risk risk to him because until he proves it otherwise, I know he transformed that team, and it's this may be a bad statement, but he he's hanging on that one good thing, and it's a hell of a thing to hang on to. Yeah. The LSU team, but like that's the, his time in the NFL. That's his only claim to fame at this point, you know. That's that, that's the only thing that would worry me is if, yeah. But he would have overwhelming talent at Bama. But you know, are you talking about a top five NFL quarterback along with two All Pro receivers? I don't know. Yeah, so that that's a name at least worth mentioning. It, it's it's iffy, but if I could have anybody, his offensive mind is in. It's a, to me, it's the biggest boomer bust because he could come in and just maybe he's just better suited for the college schematics and and those type of games because it's a different game at the NFL, obviously. And I also think maybe you look back on it's like, dang, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson paid this man like they they he owes them all the gratitude in the world for getting him all these jobs. Yeah. <laughs> And everything, but I guess let's transition that into recruiting. Um, it used to be, you know, the February signing day was that was everything, know, man. That was everything. You know, you plan. You know, when I was uh, before the early signing period, when I was uh, in school at Georgia Southern, like I would make sure I didn't go to class on those Wednesdays because, like, it's it's signing day. This is when everything happens. But I don't expect a dang thing to happen on Wednesday. You know, just about all the top prospects have signed. I mean, we're still waiting on Jaden Rashada and. That whole thing. Um, I know Arizona State and TCU have been in the mix for him. I think the mo- two most prominent names I've heard recently. So we'll see what happens there. But most everybody assigned. Um, I guess let's just talk about some impact guys. You know, Cormani McClain still has to sign. You know, we I don't know if we've talked talk about him flipping to Colorado, but he still has to sign yeah. um, with Colorado. As far as impact guys go, you know, 247 released their final rankings yesterday. Yeah. Um, I'll let you lead it off. You know, go. We'll, we'll just kind of pick two or three guys. We'll see making an impact next year, not down the line. Like they can get on the field next year. Yeah. Um, you got anybody? Who's your top guy next year? It can be an Alabama guy. It can be somebody outside outside the box. I, I'll do one outside of Bama, and I'll do one inside of Bama. Um, inside of Bama, I think it's a no brainer here. Caleb Downs, man. He he's a physical freak. He's got the size. He's a lot bigger than I thought he was. I was watching the um, the All American games and everything. Kid's got a big frame on him, and he's filled out, he's filled out the frame very well. He's got the speed, size, ball skills, and we're going to be hurting for safety next year. I think he has to a say, Brian Branch is going to be a top fifteen pick. Jordan, Jordan Battle going. Helms is going right. Yep, all so. of them. So I think that. It's a no-brainer. As far as guys outside of Bama, um, I think we've talked about them. One of them definitely Zachariah Branch going to USC. Uh, kid is phenomenal. He's electric in every way. Um, not so much. I guess he's a big-name guy, but I feel like he's also kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Hakeem Williams, wide receiver going to Florida State. Big-body guy. Jordan Travis is going to have another dude outside of Johnny Wilson to throw to. I feel like he could have a day one chance, man, at Florida State. I feel like he could really make an impact. I know Florida State's one of those teams that's returning a lot of production. He will be on the field. Uh, he is, and this is going to get maybe taken out of context. Physically, he looks like Julio Jones. Yeah. Like, just Six, physically. Three, I'm not saying that Julio is probably yeah. the best high school receiver I've ever seen. Yeah. But 
physically that that man is just built yeah because that was one I was going to mention and you know whatever you may think about Mike Norvell as a head coach he still may may still have a lot to prove that man is a very good play caller and offensive coach I think they're going to find ways to get him the ball and I think you know, if you really believe in FSU next year as a as a playoff contender, I, I think him emerging as a, as a legitimate threat would would be huge. Um, man, this wide receiver class, I think, as a whole, is pretty it is well. a stacked wide receiver yeah, class. It's, it's very good. Um, I, I'm gonna go with I, I'll name one. I'm gonna go with Justice Haynes. I'm gonna go back to the Alabama thing. Okay. You know, you're losing some. My guy Jameer Gibbs is gone. Is is Jason McClellan gone? No, him and Roy Dell Williams are still there. Okay. My thing is, like, I just think Justice Haynes, he was the number one running back to me this year. He was phenomenal. I think he's going to find ways to get on the field, and I think it's going to be soon. Like, I think all three of those guys are going to play. Yeah. But I think it's going to be a little bit like when, you know, Najee Harris was the number one running back. He was a top five player in the country coming in. You had some guys in front of him, but it's like you knew at some point down the line. Um, he was going to take over. I think he's going to get carries from day one. You'll see him against Texas, I'm sure, in that week two game. That's yeah. going to be a guy I'm really excited to watch. And you stole my branch pick. I, I know everybody's anointing Joe Milton as the starter. I, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. You don't pay a kid that much money to not come in at That's least. That's what I'm saying. And one. His on thing, do you, does anybody remember Joe Milton at Michigan? Because I do. I remember him very well, and I remember yes. exactly why he loved Michigan. <laughs> I mean, well, don't get me wrong. Forget. Kid's got a piss missile of an yeah, arm. Like, like, I bet you he could outthrow any NFL quarterback, including Josh Allen, Patrick yeah. Mahomes, anybody. The rest of it is just – I don't know. I think people are taking that Clemson game and isolating it and trying to yep. – I've just never believed in Joe Milton. Now – I didn't believe in Michael Penix Jr. I didn't believe in some other guys too. So take this with a grain of salt. So the thing, with, just, the, the problem I see with Joe Milton, I think we're going to see the Anthony Richardson effect. I think the kid, I think he has it. I think he has the skill set. I don't think he's developed enough. And here's the thing about having a strong arm, and we saw this with Anthony Richardson. You're throwing a bomb, like a 50 mile an hour bomb, on a five yard out route. Yeah. I see that same problem with Joe Milton. Don't get me wrong. He balled out against Clemson. Yeah. But throughout the duration of a season, whereas you got a guy like Nico that just has the touch. It's the flick of the wrist with Nico, man. The mm-hmm. touch, the anticipation, the size. Like, he has it all. I don't know. I think not, when they get him in camp and stuff and through the – you know, I, I'm pretty sure he's an early enrollee, correct? You know, they're just going to look at him and, like, we can't keep him off the field. There's yeah. just no way we can keep him off the field. And, you know, nothing like I hate to rag on Joe Milton. It's just I, the the full body of work is what I look at. And he was not very good at Michigan. Let's not forget he was the starter at Tennessee before he got benched. It wasn't because Hendon Hooker just suddenly come out of nowhere. Because Hendon Hooker was in the same boat. It was a transfer kid from didn't have much success at his previous school, you know. Joe Milton, let's not forget Joe Milton got benched. So – if if you want a hot take for me, I I think Nico starts day one I, at Tennessee. I think if they they've got a lot to replace, you know Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, uh, offensive tackles, so they, they're going to have a little bit. Just go ahead and let's play the freshman. Unless I think Tennessee's big year could be twenty twenty four when some of these guys are seasoned and you get another transfer and recruiting class in there. Um, if they're going to compete, like you got any others? Just you know. Um, gotta gotta show some love to my defense guys. Anthony Hill, of course, the number I think he's the number one linebacker in the country going to Texas. 
Uh, Nicholas Harbor, the greatest athlete in this class. I don't think he's committed anywhere yet. That's the thing. I guess that, that is our sign of day. Other than Rashada, there's your sign and day entry. You want to talk about a freak athlete? That is a freak of nature. This man is a 6'5", all of 230, running what, like a 10-3, 100-meter? I, I heard it was 10-2. Like it yeah, was... In, insane. Have you heard the – have you seen some of the rumors him really wanting to play receiver? I have, and I think at a lot of the uh, All-American practices, he was at wide receiver tight end. Uh, I would it, put him at edge rusher. There's just no make way. a lot of money being an edge rusher, man. Yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to like think of my instant. He's almost like Nick Bosa to an extent coming off the you edge. You remember like, Leonard Floyd when he was at Georgia? That's what I see, that tall, lanky, athletic frame coming off the edge. That's what I see in him. He just needs to grow into it because that was always my problem with Leonard Floyd, and he's still a pretty good NFL player. I wouldn't mistake him for an all-pro or anything, but he just never filled out. He just relies strictly on athleticism and speed, and that can work. But when you're a one-trick pony in the NFL, that doesn't always work. So I think for that comp, I'll say, you know, if he could fill out maybe a little bit more, but yeah, I, I, that's on me. I, I forgot to to mention him. He's kind of the the big fish floating around. Like, and I've seen like there's been so many schools in the mix. You know, at one point Oregon, I, I thought he visited there. I don't know if it was recently. South Carolina's been heavily he's in the been mix. Trending well. South Carolina for a long time, yeah. and I know he's taken several visits to Michigan as well. And I know they were in his top five. I think he. I thought he named the top five, but. Yep. Um, Michigan was in there. I, I don't know. Hey, Maryland's in there as well. Yeah, don't don't count out Mike Loxley. He's he's reeled in some guys like um, Maryland's probably going to be a little bit on the downswing next year, losing all their receivers and whatnot. But again, that's a discussion for a different day. Um, but yeah, so signing day's lost a little bit of luster, and I guess Cormani McLean will make an impact. I think it's like by default. Like, I, yeah, there's no way he doesn't play. And I like I think Cormani's great. I, whether he went to Miami, anywhere else, like it's this whole situation's been crazy. Yeah. Um. We could do a whole podcast on Colorado, man. Like that's a, <laughs> we probably will because like there's a lot to unpack with Colorado right now. Man, I, just before we get out of here, I, I don't know if you saw the the Pac-12 schedule. Have you seen Colorado's like first five weeks? Yeah. Like they opened with TCU. TCU off rip. Golly, dude. Yeah, and um, mm. then they get – I have no idea what Nebraska looks like. You know, former Yellow Jacket Jeff Sims is out there at quarterback. I, I have I'm putting all my eggs in a basket with Nebraska. I, I tried this year. I thought things would change. This not a chance I ever do that again. I'm not a believer. In and those. then, you know, USC, Oregon, and I want to say somebody else. Yeah. Man, the Pac-12 is going to be – I think that's going to be the biggest hindrance to, like, let's say, Colorado is like yeah. USC, uh, Oregon. Oh, my Beavers are going to be good next year. You know, Washington is going to be very good. Like, I, they might be packed. I don't know what UCLA is going to be this this coming year. Well, they're interesting because they did get some guys to come back and not enter the draft. A couple of D linemen that were very good for them. You got five star Dante Moore coming in. But that's my thing. Like I think we both appreciated how DTR got better, but we always felt like he kind of had a ceiling. He was always hitting, and he didn't play well down the stretch last year. If Dante Moore comes in and hits his ceiling as a top five quarterback, yeah. I don't think there's any reason UCLA can't compete in the Pac-12. I would agree. DTR, he kind of had that Kellen Mond syndrome. Like 
You've been here way too long. After his third, fourth year, you know exactly what you're going to get, but he decided yeah. to stay a little longer. So, And that's the thing is he did progress from like year one to two to three, oh, and definitely. he stopped. He completely yeah. stopped. Um, but, yeah, like Dante Moore I think is definitely going to have a chance to come in and start. I'd be kind of – I would assume he does because I just don't know why you would go to UCLA if you weren't in like, hey. Yeah, why would you flip if you were going to wait? And I know they got Colin Shee, the transfer QB from Kent State, who was really good last year. Kent State, bless them. Their whole team just about transferred out. Like they've got, you know, Dante Cephas is now at Penn State. Um, Another reason for me to like Penn State next year. So just, you know, overall, Pac-12 schedule, pretty tough um, for Colorado and just as a whole, that conference is going to be crazy. We're going to have a big show next week. ACC schedule comes out Monday. Yep. Don't ask me when the Big 12s is coming out. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, we're still waiting on that. They, they've they kind of had – I'll give them a slight break. They've had some weird scheduling logistics as far as, you know, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and uh, UCF coming in. So, yep. you got anything more before we get out of here? Any 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 final words? Uh, no. In a future in a future episode, I don't think we got enough time to cover it now. We've been seeing a lot of the talk, and I just want to get your quick rapid reaction before we get out of here. We've been seeing a lot of talk about is there a new dynasty, Georgia versus Bama, Kirby versus Saban. What are you making of this? Just quick rapid reaction. What do you make of it? The, the 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 interesting thing about this question is that the, there's just no defined answer for a dynasty because when I, when this conversation initially started happening right after Georgia won, my thought was, I think three titles in five years counts as a dynasty. You know, there have been some teams, but like, do you consider Nebraska in the nineties a dynasty? I, I, they won three titles kind of spread out. Over I would say years. yes. I've always thought that three or four titles in a, about a decade span. I've, well, in a consistent, a like 10, 11 yeah. win seasons, like, don't fall to seven and five. Don't fall to eight and four. Like, and that was the thing. Like Florida State, I would probably consider a dynasty in the nineties. What do you um, think about USC in the early two thousands? Yes, I, I, I would because that's the biggest comparison I've seen from Georgia fans. Well, USC won two. Blah 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 blah. Like, eh. and they went to others. You know, they they yeah. split the one with LSU in 03. Um, they throttled Oklahoma the next year. Won it outright, even though it. Record book says they didn't, but they did. Yeah. And then, you know, they lost that maybe the greatest college football game of all time to Texas. Um, but it was also just the consistent winning. Like, okay, Pete Carroll's first year, he went six and six, and then 11 and two, won the Orange Bowl, national title, national title, made the national title, 11 and two, won the Rose Bowl, 2007, 11 and two, won the Rose Bowl, 2008. We're gonna have a podcast this offseason. I want to talk about the 2008 season because I thought they got, I thought they were the best team in the country. They went, I think, 12 and one, 13 and one, won the Rose Bowl and got screwed, screwed out of that. But anyway, and then Carroll's last year, they did, I think they were nine and three. Yeah. Um, and then he bolted when the sanctions hit, but not to make this a USC thing, but so I, I would consider that just they were that they were just so dominant. And they they the difference between them and George, I'll say in Kirby's favor. Other than the South Carolina weird game a couple years ago, Kirby really doesn't lose that many weird games. Like USC would lose to, you know, they lost to Stanford as a 40 point favorite, but they I'll lost say right now in the regular season that same year Bama did back in 2017, I think. Yeah, they lost to weird games like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say no right now because the, the great thing about this, 
is still going. Like, you know, this is, it's not like Kirby just took the Houston Texans job and is gone. Yeah. So we're, um, it's still going. I would say no right now. I guess in my opinion right now, outside of it being back to back. So basically the timing, they haven't done anything more than what Clemson did when they won. That's the thing. And I don't know that you consider Clemson a dynasty. And Clemson's not a dynasty. I mean, because they had success. Granted, they beat one of the greatest Bama teams of all time in 2016, beat one of the greatest Bama offense of all time in 2018. Meanwhile, Georgia's championships, yeah, you had one against Bama, but then you just won one against TCU. Clemson's championships were against better competition, in my opinion. Clemson has had more success. They made the playoff each year in and year out. Granted, the ACC had some down down years in that span, so it was a little bit easier. But even then, Georgia hasn't done anything more than what I personally think Clemson's done. Clemson's gone undefeated in the regular season. Clemson, they've had great quarterbacks. They've had great talent on the field. They found a way to make it to the playoffs. So I didn't consider them a dynasty. I'm not going to consider Georgia a dynasty just because they won back to back. The timing. Now, I think now the interesting thing is if they were to win a national title in the next couple of years, I could see Clemson being considered a dynasty because it's kind of like the the Nebraska model we were just talking about. So they win their third in like six or seven years. They've you know okay, 2015 they made the title. 2016 they lost or they beat Bama. 2017 they lost in the playoff to Bama. 2018 they beat Bama. Well, here's here's the thing: how many dynasties can you have going on at the same time? That's what I that's that's my thing. I feel like if you a dynasty means one above the rest, that's still Bama in my opinion. Like until Bama just goes what three, four years without winning one. I mean, overall, they're a dynasty. Do I think they're the top program right now? I don't know if I want to get into that with you right now, but I would say probably not just, you know, based off two straight national titles from Georgia. But, you know, that that's the funny thing about the dynasty talk is there's no written rules about it. Like everybody can make a bigger, honestly. Yeah. It's my thing was always three and five years, but I've kind of relaxed off that a little bit now because that's so hard to do. Like, you know, Saban's done it and then it's, there's not been many teams to do it really since. So um, that's why I always thought three to four years within a decade, like right now, totally different sport, but I would consider the Warriors a dynasty. They've won four in the last decade. Granted it's been spaced out. They've had a couple years in between these last two, Mm-hmm. I still consider that a dynasty. So, like, that three to four championships in about a decade span, I consider that a dynasty. Yeah, the Spurs were a dynasty with Tim Duncan. Kobe and Shaq yeah. were – yeah, Kobe, how many they won? Like, three? They won three. They, they three-peated, and then Kobe won two in the uh, back end of the 2010s. Yeah, that's a Turned dynasty. Obviously, Michael Jordan and the Bulls is a dynasty, but – yeah. You know what else is a dynasty? This will this podcast will be a dynasty here in the near future. It's gonna be it's gonna be crazy, but that we'll 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 expand more on that as you know, is there's no football right college football right now, but um I guess that'll be our final word for it. Make sure you go follow both of us on social media at Kobe Reed. Go check out all yellow jackets, it's gonna be a busy be- recruiting weekend again. Yep. Make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcast. I don't care where you get your podcast, but just find this podcast and get um any last words? Nah, man. Let's go ahead and get out of here. Gotta go handle some business. Go, go enjoy y'all's weekend. I'm Jackson Caldwell. That is Cover 8. We're out.